I formation behind Christian. First and 10 from the Vikings. 18-yard line. Handoff Adrian up the middle. Room to the 20. Cuts to the left to the 25. And Adrian's loose. He splits the defense. 50, 40, 30. Goodbye, baby. Touchdown. That's an 82-yard touchdown by Adrian Peterson. Matching the longest. What is up, Football Nation? Welcome to episode number 32 of the Sportscasters. It is December 19th, getting awfully close to the Fat Man's arrival here. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, it's episode 32 of the show. We got a great one for you today. First of all, I have to give a special extra thank you to Kenny Albert for being on this show last week. We actually... For the first time in the history of the Football Nation Sportscasters podcast, had someone bail on us at the last minute. Yeah. I'm not going to out him, <laughs> but uh, he bailed on us at the last minute, and Mar- the son of Marv, uh, Kenny Albert, was who's a great friend of ours, really, he's been great to both shows, uh, was there to step in, and we owe him an extra thank you for that. Um, speaking of the other show, I just want to remind you, you can find it at www.sports-casters.com. We have a great show this week with Mike Tannier, who's the football writer from sportsonearth.com. So again, if you're just in it for the football, you'll find a great football interview there. And we also have someone who was just selected into the National Hockey League Hall of Fame, uh, one of the most gifted storytellers in the history of Canadian writing, Roy McGregor, and you can find that at www.sports-casters.com and on iTunes. Uh, I am the host of the show, Steve Bennett. Sometimes we forget that. We do. Uh, My co-host is Don Russ. What's up, buddy? Hey. All right, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to get right into it and start with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever! (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. Alright, so as we always do, we like to look ahead at the next week of the NFL season, which is a huge week for teams all across the league. Week 16 actually starts on Saturday this week. Um, ESPN is not going to have a Monday night game because that's Christmas Eve. Oh, right. Instead, they're going to have their game on Saturday, and you may or may not want to bother with it as it's the Falcons. Um... I guess who still need to wrap officially wrap home field advantage, right? Yeah. Traveling to Detroit to play the Lions, and I guess all you're really watching there is can Calvin Johnson break Jerry Rice's record? And I'm not sure where really where he stands. I, that's not the Thursday game. No, that's Saturday. There's no there, Thursday. There is no game. Thursday, Thursday game. games are done. The NFL Network has oh. completed their 13 Thursday games. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, so the week starts on Saturday instead of Thursday this week with Falcons and Lions, which is important for our fantasy friends. Gives you a couple extra days to think about your lineups. Yeah, I wonder how often at this point of the year, with only two games to go, 
that I don't think there's anything set in stone right now, right? I don't think there's one. I mean, there's divisions clinched. There's divisions in the playoffs, clinched, right? But home but, field advantages are still out there, and buys are still out there. So there's a lot right. to play for still. And one huge thing to play for is the NFC East. Yeah, and those three teams have big games. The Cowboys are home against the Saints, who played arguably their best game of the season last week. Uh, the Cowboys obviously coming off a win against the Steelers. And I'll say this, the Cowboys really play well against the Saints. If you recall, the Saints were 13-0 and in their Super Bowl year, and the Cowboys were the team who hmm. ended that streak on a Saturday night. Um, so we don't, we don't usually do this in this segment, but, uh, you were talking before about how you can kind of, you got a pretty good vibe on the saints. What do they do this game? The Cowboys need to win this game. Uh, the saints defense isn't what we saw last week. They're definitely not that good. Uh, and the Cowboys have a decent offense. Can the honestly, saints win a shootout? I think we're going to beat them. Really? I think that at this point of the season, coach Drew Brees goes into his locker room and tells the team, boys, let's go spoil This it. is our Super Bowl. Yeah. This is our Super Bowl this week. This is what we got. And uh let's go do it. And uh the Cowboys, they can be funny sometimes. Oh yeah, all year long, really. You know what I mean? They go up and down and they've been so hot and I don't know, I'm worried about them cooling off. The Redskins travel to Philadelphia to play the Eagles. The Eagles are going to be in the same mindset, but they're probably just not good enough. I right. think no, yeah, RG, think so. RG3 or Kirk Cousins, I think that the Redskins are going to win that game fairly easily. And uh, that means that no matter what happens, they're going to maintain their lead in the NFC East if it plays out that way. The Giants have the toughest game probably of the three, arguably, I suppose, the way the Ravens have played. Yeah. You know, the Giants will travel to Baltimore to play the Ravens, and that's the 425 national Fox game that will play to most of the country. What's the line on that game? That line is the Giants by one. I would take that all day. I, I just think that's the game. The Giants were embarrassed last week. Uh, they're still very much in the playoff hunt. Baltimore, for a 9-5 and five team, they've got a lot of problems. They're going to they're gonna fall backwards into the playoffs. And uh, like I said, the Giants are just embarrassed. I, I, wouldn't wanna, I know that's a home game for Baltimore, but I wouldn't want to be Baltimore this week. Uh, Adrian Peterson continues his quest for history against the Texans. It's his hardest of his last two games. The Texans, I believe, are about number three against the run. But they've also had injuries on defense. They're not the same defense that they were maybe when they built that ranking up. Um, J.J. Watt is clearly the best player on the defense. And probably what they'll do is run right at him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Usually with a pass rusher like that, you run right at him, and he runs right by you. Right. Um, or maybe they go the other way, or maybe it just doesn't matter. Adrian Peterson does whatever he wants. I don't expect that game. I don't expect Minnesota to win that game, but I bet you Houston gets a nice has a nice line there, and I bet you Minnesota keeps that game really close. Houston's plus nine. Yeah, I bet you Minnesota keeps it closer than that. I that's a team that is not going to make mistakes because it's hard to make mistakes handing the ball off. I believe that the Texans and the Broncos can clinch buys. Yeah. Don't quote me on that, but the Broncos are home against the Browns. Yeah, I don't doubt Houston wins, but I, I think that's a tight game. Uh, 
low scoring. And I, I'm not worried about Adrian Peterson. We don't do fantasy on this podcast too much, but if you have him out there, start him. He's he's unbenchable against any competition. The last time people were worried about starting him was a few years back in Chicago, and he, he set at the time what was the record for rushing in a single game. And The Broncos can't clinch a bye because they lost to the Patriots. So if they finish oh, okay. with four losses and the Patriots finish with four losses, the Patriots will get a bye. But what? Houston can clinch a bye with a win. What's amazing about what Adrian Peterson is doing is this week Houston's going to line up and put, what, nine guys in the box? Just like St. Louis did. And no, and people can't stop him anyway. And St. Louis's defense isn't isn't as bad as he made them look at last week. That's a good defense he did that against. So that'll be a tighter game than people think, I, I believe. And then the last really significant game of the week is the 49ers at the Seahawks. Yeah, great game. Um, it's a Sunday night game, the last game of the week, the day before Christmas Eve. Uh, the 49ers at the Seahawks. The Seahawks are 6-0 and at home Yeah. at this point in the season. It's always been considered one of the toughest stadiums to play in uh, since it was built. And uh, I wonder how you feel about this game, Don, based on what you've seen from Seattle in the last two weeks and what you saw from San Francisco on Sunday night. I think, uh, I think the San Francisco win is a little more impressive. I know Seattle just beat the Bills and did what they wanted at will in that game. But Seattle or San Francisco, they had to hang on. They were kind of exploited a little bit at the end of the game by Brady, but that's But Brady will do that to you. Right. And that's a good New England team. They did that too. They put up a lot of points. I don't see them putting up that many points against Seattle. But it's one of those games where you just tell Kaepernick don't make mistakes. Win the game with your leg, uh legs throw it when you have to because we're going to be in it all game we're going to run with gore we're going to run with the quarterback it's i don't think i think seattle preys a lot on teams using their they're real similar teams uh it's hard to argue one way or another but i i think san francisco ultimately wins it which rookie quarterback would you rather be lining up colin kaepernick or russell wilson i might actually say wilson there i don't i don't a little yeah, bit more experience. Yeah, I don't have a ton to base it on other than maybe the eyeball test, but he looks a little bit more like a quarterback. So that's the week that is in the NFL. I mean, keep a close eye on the NFC East. The Sunday night game is going to be great, and let's see what happens with the AFC. And then, of course, the Colts play the Chiefs. I didn't mention this, but they could lock up their wild card with that, and right. we'll see what happens with the six seeds in both conferences. Yeah, I don't have a favorite NFC team or anything, but I'm kind of pulling for Washington to make that final spot. It'd be kind of cool to see Luck and Griffin in the playoffs in their first first go at it. And uh, from a selfish point of view, from a Bills point of view, we've got a coach that has this antiquated way of thinking that you've got to draft a quarterback and develop him and that. And rookies are winning everywhere in the league, Dalton, Luck, RG3. So hopefully... If they both make it to the playoffs, they'll forego that notion if they do decide to draft a quarterback and throw him right into the fire. And I totally blew a huge, huge game in the AFC that I missed is Pittsburgh versus Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. Last chance time for Pittsburgh. Yep. Uh, If Pittsburgh can win that game, they would uh, tie themselves with Cincinnati, and I believe that, that they would sweep them. So they would put themselves back in the sixth position in the AFC. Boy, Pittsburgh, just something 
stinks about them this year. I'm not sure what it is. I mean, the Roethlisberger injury didn't help, but they seem kind of out of sorts. He, he looked pretty good for most of last week until the overtime. But Yeah, the if, if Pittsburgh can win that game, both teams would be 8-7, and seven, but Pittsburgh would be 2-0 and oh against Cincinnati and would put themselves into the sixth seed and control their own destiny going into the last week of the season. All right, I think that's basically we covered everything that matters there. So let's move along. My second thing this week, a lot of this year isn't really remembered uh, maybe for anything teams have done. Like in the past, we had the uh, the great New England run or the great Colts slash New Orleans run that ended up in a Super Bowl. This year, though, has got to rem- be remembered for a lot of remarkable individual performances. Like we already talked about Adrian Peterson uh, Calvin Johnson, Brandon Marshall, all having monster, monster seasons. One guy that's going to be forgotten about but should easily break an all-time record is Jason Witten. Jason Witten right now sits five catches away from the tight end single-season record. He's got 97 catches with two catches to go. The record is uh, was set in 2004 by Tony Gonzalez when he was in Kansas City. And I don't know if I've heard anybody talk about him. And any other year maybe his name would be high on the list for comeback player of the year. Yeah, you know, there was all the talk of the tight ends last year when it was Gronkowski and Graham. Everyone was right. into that, but no one's really – I had no idea. I'll he, admit right out. He, in the preseason, had a lacerated spleen. I'm not sure if you remember that, but it was to the point where they didn't want him standing on the sidelines because they didn't want a player to bump into it or a stray ball to hit it because they didn't know what it would – like. They feared it could really mess him up. Uh, he's played every single game this year. Back in October, he set the single-game receiving record or for receptions against the Giants with 18 catches in one game. So really nice year for Jason Witten. The Cowboys have been up and down all year, but he, he's been one guy that's that's been solid all year long. I know we mentioned Adrian Peterson before, but – Don always does a stat of the week, and I came across an amazing one this week. Adrian Peterson has 1,313 rushing yards in his last eight games, and that is the most rushing yards in any eight-game span in the history of the National Football League, the history of the league. There's not a single player who has ever done what Adrian Peterson has done. He pretty much outgains his quarterback every week. Yeah, by, a sig- by a significant amount. That's remarkable in this day and age. He has lost Percy Harvin, who's been gone for weeks now. There's the probably the next best player on the offense is Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph, yeah. Is probably the next best player on the offense. And I watched very closely what St. Louis was going to do to try to stop him. And sometimes it was 10 guys. Yeah. And the run that he broke for 82 yards, if you haven't seen it, is one of the prettiest cutback runs of the year. Yeah, it looks harmless. Like It looks like a, a nice – he gets a nice hole from the offensive line to start the run, and then he runs into a wall about six yards and down the field. And he finds a cutback that not many running backs can make, especially one year after knee surgery. He cuts back and then just splits the, the safeties and is gone. He just outruns them. It's – Remarkable for a guy that size to be that quick and strong. But, uh, yeah, he's. we talked about on the other podcast, when he retires, best ever is going to be at least talked about. He'll be in that conversation. And he'll probably 
hold the single game rushing record and the single season rushing record. And you know what's amazing about it is when they talk in Texas about who's one of the greatest running backs to ever play in Texas, they talk about Adrian Peterson as one of those guys, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure that there's others because Texas is Texas, but he's in that conversation. Right. And then when they talk about who the greatest running back ever at Oklahoma was, Adrian Peterson is very near the top of that list. And he's going to do it again in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I've always liked Emmett Smith as a player, but he played a lot of years. He was a, Jim Brown's kind of the guy I think yeah, you hear the most right. now. You know, maybe OJ sometimes. OJ, and, I mean, his uh, life ended not ended, but he had a controversial twist to it. But as far as on the field, he did remarkable stuff for lousy teams too. You could probably draw a lot of parallels between him and Peterson, but. Uh, yeah, Adrian's unbelievable, especially what he's doing so closely removed from a huge injury. My last thing this week, and I'll mix in my stat of the week here, uh, a prominent Jets source, I read this on Pro Football Talk, but by now it's everywhere, said there's, quote, no way Sanchez starts this Sunday. That's since been made official. They're going back to the kid whose name I can't remember, Greg something McElroy. Greg, that <laughs> can't be right is it it's close to that is isn't it, it? oh i, I thought mean, that was a golfer oh, oh that's Ro- rory mackerel okay yeah greg mackerel so. well let's get this right i know he played <laughs> at alabama i it's funny that i can't think of his last name i'm almost positive his name's greg but that he played at alabama i know that much but i'll find it you keep going on okay so my thing isn't really as much a thing as it is a question uh I imagine this marks the end of Sanchez's career. It's McElroy. I was right. McElroy, okay. I imagine this marks the end of the Sanchez career in New York. So my question to you is there's going to be probably three high-profile guys, maybe not great guys, but high-profile guys that started. One didn't start, but one took a team to the playoffs last year. The other two are starters on good teams recently, and that's Tebow, Mark Sanchez, and Alex Smith. Do you see any of them starting next year? When I think of the Jets, I think of Alex Smith. Yeah, that's not. That Doesn't be a it bad seem fit. like he's a good fit there for what they that like it, to do? That is a team for as bad as Sanchez has been. He's been historically bad this year with turnovers. And if you can eliminate they were those, a, they were a game or two out of the playoffs. So. Some people say you almost have to give Rex Ryan a little bit of credit for that. Uh, as bad as his quarterback's been, his team's been fairly competitive. I could very easily see Alex Smith starting for the Jets next year and them basically asking Alex Smith, do what you did in San Francisco and we can." they'll believe that they can be a Super Bowl team. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers has said publicly that if they find a – Alex Smith has got to find a good spot where he can do what he's got to do. So maybe, maybe, just maybe – He's not a game manager. Maybe he's got a little bit more to show for it, and they kind of hamstrung him in San Francisco. But I think there's going to be a lot more than usual quarterback turnover this year. I think it'd be a mistake to fire Rex Ryan this year. I think if you're going to fire anyone... Because it's just such a wasted year. Yeah, I mean, you lost your two best players almost instantly, right? Right. On each side of the ball. You lost Antonio Holmes and Revis pretty much instantly. So you played all year without them. You also have a roster that is hideous. Yeah. Yeah, so the general manager. I think the culpability should be with Mr. Tannenbaum, right. the general manager. And 
I think Rex should get another year. I think they should find Alex Smith in there and see if the formula that he's put together can work with a quarterback who can protect the football because we know Alex Smith can do that. Yeah, but uh, Tebow, Sanchez, Alex Smith, not that Tebow was a starter. I, I imagine Sanchez won't be a starter anywhere next year. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I would love to see him not be a starter, but I imagine he will. Christian Ponder, probably. Michael Vick is another guy who's going to be in the mix. Yeah, probably won't be a starter next year. Maybe for a team, but uh, he won't be starting with the Eagles. Christian Ponder, I already said. Uh, Blank Gabbert, I can't imagine being a starter next year. So I, I suspect a lot of quarterback turnover. And uh, my Reddit stat of the week, uh, Reddit NFL subreddit. If you ever have been on Reddit, their NFL subreddit is fantastic. And there was a ton of good, interesting facts today, like how the Patriots have lost to every team they've played in the NFC West except for the St. Louis. And St. Louis has not lost to any team in the NFC West. It's kind of a weird, weird stat. But the stat I liked the most this week was Maurice Jones-Drew has now missed eight weeks. It's been eight weeks since he got hurt. In the game he was hurt, he only had two carries. That said, he's still leading the team in rushing by over 100 yards. Maurice Jones-Drew is going to end this year with 414 yards rushing. Greg Jennings right now, or not Greg Jennings, uh, Rashad Jennings right now has 283 yards rushing. That team is a disaster. They, <laughs> They're having a great year. Yeah, that that just shows you how good Maurice Jones-Drew is because running back has kind of come become, other than the superstars like we talked about, Peterson, it's almost become a little bit of a generic position where you can plug anybody in and get some decent numbers. But, boy, that is not the case in uh, Jacksonville. Rashad Jennings, 283 yards. They They keep throwing running backs at the wall and see what will stick, and so far nothing has. So, today it was announced who the top six jersey sales are in the National Football League. Okay. And I'm going to see how many you can get. We're not going to make this painful. Okay. But I will give you one clue that they're all quarterbacks. Okay. Uh, Robert Griffin III. He's number one. Andrew Luck. He's number six. Peyton Manning. He's number two. Boy, who am I missing here? Uh, You're missing two obvious ones. Oh, Aaron Rodgers. He's number three. Tom Brady. He's number five. So I'm missing one now. Yep. And uh, uh, he ended last season very happy. Ended last season very happy. Oh, Eli Manning. That's right. He's in the uh, middle there. I was surprised by some of those. Like Brady and them are always good guys. I thought you were going to surprise me and say something like uh, Russell Wilson is one of the top-selling jerseys because he's like new and fun and whatever. But yeah, I think that's where Luck and RG three right, right, fit in. right. You know, uh, wow, we finally we got this franchise player. You know, and I want to wear his jersey. What number was Peyton? Peyton was two. Two. That makes sense. New team. New team. Yep. Everyone goes out and buy it. And Rogers. I mean that that market extends beyond itself never ceases to amaze right, me the right. fan base that they have considering the size of that city. Yeah. You know, my brother played in a hockey league called the USHL, which is in all these small cities in the Midwest and Green Bay has a team. That's right. You know, so that goes to show you what kind of a market that is. In hockey they have a tier one junior team. Right. You know, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, but that's been said many times. All yeah. right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and we have a fantastic interview with uh, senior writer from Sports Illustrated, Jim Trotter.
Our guest today is from San Diego, California, and is a graduate of Howard University. He spent over 18 years at the San Diego Union Tribune and worked on the Chargers beat for 10 of those years. In 2007, he joined Sports Illustrated as a senior writer. He has been a contributor for ESPN's First Take and the NBC affiliate in San Diego. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the talented Jim Trotter. How you doing, Mr. Trotter? Uh, I'm good. The first thing I want to know, though, is where'd you get that pipe song? Oh, it's on YouTube. Oh, that's sweet. I yeah, love it. There's a beautiful version of uh, the band playing it outside of what looks like probably a dorm building. Ah, uh, I love it. Yeah, love a it. bunch of students watching, enjoying it. Uh, the video's still playing right now. It, it's awesome. It's really cool. It's one of the cooler ones because it's a live version of it. You know, a lot of times we just play these tape versions, and this one's really cool because you can even hear the conductor at the beginning counting it down. One, two, three, four. It's cool. Bringing back memory. So, football. You uh, are still in California, correct? Correct. And um, I know that you keep a close eye on the teams that play out west. And, of course, we saw an amazing game on Sunday night between the San Francisco 49ers and the New England Patriots. And my first question for you about it is, in your opinion, what do you think the effect of that game will have on both teams? Uh, I think for San Francisco, psychologically, it's a huge boost. Um, Not that the 49ers didn't know they were good and didn't know they could compete for the championship, but when you go out to New England where the Patriots had won 20 consecutive December games at home and you dominate them the way you did, you know, for two-plus quarters, um, that is a huge message, in my opinion, that, that, you know, you, it legitimizes everything that you believe. So, from my standpoint, I think psychologically it's huge for the 49ers, not only that, that, you know, they won the game, but that they were up big, they allowed the Patriots to come back, and then they met that challenge again, you know, and scored to win it. Uh, that's huge. For the Patriots, I don't think there's any lasting, um, effects from it. The Patriots know who they are, they know how good they are. They know what the expectations are, and I think this just sort of reinforces some of the things that they feel they have to work on to get ready for the playoffs. Do you think that in some way the game took another step in justifying Jim Harbaugh's decision to switch to Kaepernick? When I think of the four touchdown passes, especially the one that he threw to Crabtree, not the winner, but the other one, it seems like that's a pass that Alex Smith isn't making you know well you're no you're absolutely right i mean when colin kaepernick was named the starter or when he started when alex was out with the concussion and he had that big game against the bears i was there and after the game on the field i asked a couple of the receivers about it and you could just see their eyes light up you know and then to hear vernon davis after the game say that colin made a throw one in particular that alex would not have even attempted you know, that was big. They were sending messages without ever coming out and saying how they actually felt. And what they were saying is that with Colin in there, they feel that the offense is more vertical and they feel that it's more dynamic because he will take more chances down the field. 
Alex wouldn't do that. You know, people say Alex was a game manager as if that's a negative, and I don't believe it is. But it does mean that Alex was more careful, if you will, than I think Colin is. I think because Alex, over the years, had had all those turnovers under so many coordinators that the new staff beat into his head, look, we don't need you to, you know, to win games for us necessarily, but we don't need you to lose them. We've got all the other facets of the game covered. And I think, therefore, Alex was careful a lot. Colin is just out there. I don't want to say just winging it because that implies that he hasn't studied and intellectually he's not up on the game. What I'm saying is that he's just more aggressive, in my opinion, down the field than Alex was. Is there anything as great of a win as it is and as great of a plane ride as it was as opposed to as if they would have blown it? Does the team, like this week, is is there anything going on, you know, to try and say what happened? How do we let those 28 points slip away? Or do you just say, hey, Tom Brady got us for four minutes or ten minutes in the game and, you know, we recovered and forget it? No, no. They'll look at that 18-minute stretch and they'll say what went wrong and how do we make sure it doesn't happen again. But there's not a negative, you know, sort of um, post-traumatic syndrome here where they're going to, you know, um, suffer some effects from it. I think they realize that Tom is a great quarterback and the Patriots were averaging, I believe, 36 points a game. So, you know, they know that that offense is going to make plays, but they'll go back and they'll look at the mistakes that they made and they'll try and correct those. And I can guarantee you right now, their focus is not on that game. Their focus is on the Seahawks. That's a huge rival for them. This is a team that still has a chance, you know, to win the division. If it wins out, San Francisco loses its last two. So from my standpoint, trust me, San Francisco is focused on the Seahawks right now and not thinking about that Patriots game. You know, that's a great transition because I want to ask you about the Seahawks. Do you have any problem with the way Pete Carroll has coached the last two games? Um, no, but I, I can say to you, if I were in his shoes, I would not have gone for the fake punt uh, at the time that he did. But, you know, as he said, they, the play was on. That's the way they had repped it the entire week, and that if they got a certain look, they were going to run that play. It wasn't something that was sent in from the sideline. Uh, according to Pete, and I can believe that. Now, Pete said it's his fault, his fault for not taking it off, period, once they got up the way they did. Uh, you can believe him or not believe him, but, you know, there's the old Bill Parcells axiom here, and that if you don't want teams to score, stop them from scoring. And if you don't want teams to convert, you know, on, on fourth and whatever, stop them. So I, I, I don't, I mean, I would not have done it, but I'm not going to sit here and say that it changes my, my, uh, perception of Pete Carroll. Well, how good, I mean, it's it's a lot of points in two weeks, but it's also against Arizona and Buffalo, who are far from playoff teams. What what kind you of lead do we get on the I'll Seahawks? Say, well, let me say this to you about that. I, I agree with you. Those were not two great teams that they put up those points on. But as we have seen every week in the NFL, if you don't come to play, you can be beaten. And I'll go back two weeks ago where the San Diego Chargers went into Pittsburgh, where they were 0-14 lifetime, you know, during the regular season, and beat the Steelers. So, again, if you don't come to play and take care of business, you will lose in this league. So I, I don't take anything from Seattle in terms of who it beat. I look at more how they beat them, and they were very decisive. You know, the Cardinals just turned around and beat the Lions. 
you know, last Sunday, uh, shut down that offense. So I don't, I, I don't, in my mind, I don't put down uh, the Seahawks for who they beat. More important to me is how did they beat them. Do you think that they're a team capable of beating the 49ers this weekend? Absolutely. They are a different team at home. Go back and look. They beat the, the uh, Patriots up there. They beat the Packers up there. And there was one other big win that they had up in Seattle against a, a formidable opponent. So absolutely I believe that they can beat the, the uh, 49ers up there. If you go back and you remember early in the year when they lost to the 49ers in San Francisco, it was, a, I believe, a 13-6 game. 13-7, I can't remember, uh, it was one of those, but it was a game that was all the way down until the end, and they were actually, you know, if their passing game had been a little better that day, you could make an argument that they would have won. Well, Russell Wilson has come a long way since that game. Not only that, Russell Wilson is a completely different quarterback at home than he is on the road, so absolutely I can make a case for Seattle winning this game on Sunday. You know, there's been, it's funny, you mentioned Russell Wilson, and the first thing I think about when I think of him is kind of the off-season awards, and I don't really want to waste time talking about them because they're not that important, but, you know, there's great races for Rookie of the Year and for Defensive Player of the Year and MVP and Comeback Player, all those, I mean, better than I can ever remember. But what it really makes me think of is some of the unbelievable performances that we've seen in the National Football League this year. And I think that has to start with Adrian Peterson. Have you ever seen anything like what Adrian Peterson has done the last eight weeks? No, no, not not even just the last eight weeks this season. From this standpoint, you know, again, I don't think you can minimize the fact that he is a running back who is less than a year removed from major knee surgery and who is on the cusp or at least making a run at the individual single-season rushing record. I mean, that's remarkable to think that he has gone eight straight weeks over 100 yards, including two weeks of over 200 yards. That's mind-boggling to me. Then you add on to that that it, he's doing it in an offense that can't throw the ball. I believe it's six, what, six of the last eight games uh, the Vikings have been under 160 yards passing. Yeah, he, you know, so he, everybody knows who's getting the football, and yet they can't stop it. So to me, no, I, I've never seen anything like what Adrian Peterson is doing again with no passing game, and to be less than a year removed from major knee surgery, it's just incredible. And I've heard people say, "Well, Wes Welker came back a year after ACL surgery and basically had a great year." Wes Welker is a wide receiver. Now, granted, he has to cut. But he doesn't have somebody beating up on him every time he touches the ball. Adrian Peterson does. So to have your knee be able to withstand that and to be able to make the plays that he has made, I just think it's phenomenal. I just think the guy's a freak. I mean, we had an NFL.com writer on this show in August who witnessed him racing Percy Harvin up a hill in August and beating him four out of ten times. That was in August. I mean, I'll tell you this. Even during that, I thought, ah, that's non-contact. I'm not going to place a lot on that. It's a straight line run, you know, that sort of thing. I, I Look, I'm eating all my words on this one. I never, ever anticipated that Adrian Peterson would be doing what he is doing this year. I just think it's phenomenal. It's remarkable. And I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, he outgained his quarterback by over 80 yards last week. And he, he, <laughs> he's phenomenal. Do you think that... 
if we do an interview five or seven years from now, we're going to be talking about him as one of the greatest running backs of all time? Is he, I mean, he's got that kind of talent, right? If he stays healthy, they'll absolutely be in the conversation, no doubt. I mean, he's a, he's a, he, he, he is just gifted, and he is a freak, you know, and I say that respectfully. Um, physically, he is a freak, and, you know, for him to do what he's doing, uh, I mean, he was putting up great numbers before he got hurt. So to see what he's doing now that he's coming off this injury, again, I just say phenomenal, phenomenal. The other guy coming off a big injury, obviously, is Peyton Manning. The other Western division in the AFC that we haven't talked about the AFC at all really yet. Um, when you look at the Broncos and what they've done the last eight games and the way that team gels, do you look at them as a favorite in the AFC? Do you look at them as a potential contender? Where do you see the Broncos at this point in the season? Oh, they're absolutely a contender, without a doubt. I mean, nine straight wins. Uh, you go on to Baltimore and you dominate the way they did there. I tell you, if by some chance, you know, I think they're going to get the number two seed. If by some chance Houston loses its opener, if it is the number one seed, and the Broncos have home field advantage throughout the playoffs, I think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I think it's going to be tough for anyone to go into Denver and beat that team at altitude in those conditions with the fan support and with Peyton Manning behind center. Because when he gives that defense a lead, particularly when it's at home, uh, it's, it, it's just, you know, they can pin back their ears and they come. And Von Miller, you know, is one of the best defensive players in the game right now. When you have him and Elvis Doomer, Bill, with a lead able to pin back their ears, look out. But I would absolutely say to you right now that they are contenders to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. And if by chance they end up hosting the AFC championship game, I would not pick anyone to beat them. You know, it's interesting because we've talked about all these contenders, yet we haven't talked about either team that is at number one in their conference. And it, I think it's because a, a lot of people, and I have to admit myself, I haven't believed in Atlanta all year, and I've seen Houston completely fail in the two biggest games of their season. So I'm having a hard time believing that either of those teams can compete in the playoffs. What is your opinion about the current top two seeds in each conference? No, I absolutely understand your point of view, and it's legitimate. As I stand for the Falcons themselves, nothing matters until they win a playoff game. They could have gone 16-0 and this year, and it would not have mattered. They have to win a playoff game. They're 0-3 in the Mike Smith-Thomas Dimitrov era, and until they win a playoff game, people are going to look at them you know, sideways. So that doesn't surprise me. As far as the AFC, I agree with you on Houston. They've had Houston has had injuries on the defensive side of the ball to where it is not the same unit that it was earlier in the year. And teams can now try and focus on J.J. Watt and take him away and feel that it has a good chance of scoring on that unit. So the fact that each time they've matched up against an elite quarterback who spread them out, meaning Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, and that they could not meet that challenge I don't think it bodes well for them going forward. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting too how the first loss was their first ever game on Sunday Night Football, and then their second loss was on Monday Night Football, and it seems like when the nation is watching, they're not the same team. They remind me of like the 88 Bills who needed to lose that AFC Championship game to Cincinnati, 
or the first Peyton Manning team that lost to Tennessee, or maybe the 2006 Saints who lost to the Bears. Do you think that they could be a team that, you know, they did make the playoffs last year, I understand that, but maybe they need to lose a big game like an AFC Championship game and be in that kind of a spot to be able to take the next step? No, I don't. I think these losses they've had in the regular season here should be enough. You know, the one thing you heard from Antonio Smith after they lost to the Patriots was, well, we got a taste of what it's like now, you know, to see an elite team in a big game, how it steps up. Um, I don't know what else you need at that point. they got a thorough butt kicking in that, and if they didn't learn from that, I don't know that they're going to learn from a loss in the AFC Championship game. You know, they've got to go out and perform, and, and to be frank, I'm not sure that they have the weapons to go out keep pace with some of these other clubs. Interesting. All right, so in the summer, you know, we asked a lot of people this question, and they had no games to watch. You've been able to watch 15 games now, so I think it's a fair question at this point. Who do you see as the two teams representing each conference in the Super Bowl? Well, I I said before the season that it would be San Francisco and Baltimore. I'll stick with San Francisco, but on the AFC side, I think it's going to be New England or it's going to be Denver, one of those two. And I think whichever one has, uh, I would say whichever, let me say this. If Denver, as I said, if Denver is at home in the AFC championship game, I'm going with Denver. Um, If Denver is on the road in the AFC championship game, which means that in all likelihood it would be playing in Houston, I would still go with Denver. So I guess I'm going Denver at this point. Yeah, wow. So then to kind of close all this out and end with you, I guess my question is when we get to New Orleans and everything is said and done, who's the champ? Well, wow, that's a tough one. Um, You know, football is all about matchups and – so you got your matchup. You said Denver versus San Francisco. Yeah, I, that, that's a tough one. Um, it's truly a tough one. I, at this point, I, I don't know that I have an answer for you. I, I want to see what the health is like of each team. Right, of course. Uh, There's a lot of factors. That, yeah, that, that's a heck of a matchup. I don't know. I'd really have to sit down and look at it at this point. I haven't scouted those two against each other. I think it would be a tremendous matchup. Uh, I might lean a little bit towards San Francisco, but I think that the experience factor at quarterback um, would tilt me towards Denver. So I go, I don't know. I go back and forth right now. Well, I'll tell you what. If San Francisco gets there, Jim Harbaugh is going to surely look like a genius. That's for sure. Yeah, he he went all in on it. So he, he it, did. Was, it was, you know, it was either it was boom or bust. And right now he's looking very smart. All right, thank you very much for doing this today. We really appreciate it. You can read Jim Trotter on Sports Illustrated and sportsillustrated.com, and I highly recommend it. Thank you very much. Okay, buddy. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, we have to thank senior writer Jim Trotter from Sports Illustrated for being on the show today. Really appreciate that. Great interview. A lot of great information, especially about the 49ers, his opinions about Colin Kaepernick. He's so close to it. You know, sometimes it's nice to get a guy out west 
You know, yeah, we yeah. we can sometimes forget those Western teams, <laughs> you know, and it's nice to have a guy stationed out there give us some real perspective on the 49ers and uh, on the um, on the Broncos. So we want to thank Jim Trotter for that. Um, also, want to remind you of a couple things. Don't forget you can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. You can follow our other show, uh, the Sportscasters proper, at www www.sports-casters.com. This week we feature interviews with Mike Tannier of SportsOnEarth.com and Hockey Hall of Famer Roy McGregor. That's also on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Sports underscore Casters, and you can find Football Nation at Fball Nation. All of our old podcasts are very easy to find at Football Nation, www.footballnation.com. Just click on Podcasts, and they're all there. And... Uh, we will be here next Thursday-ish. Uh, we will be doing shows uh, through the new year, through Christmas. We won't be doing the other show, though. We're taking a break there. Right. So we will... Yeah, it's going to be hard enough to get one guest. Yeah, exactly. So we will be doing this show uh, to the best of our ability during that time. So, email. Uh, S- Steve, you guys have talked a lot about Comeback Player Award and MVP. But what about Rookie of the Year? A good case can be made for RG3, Andrew Luck, and Russell Wilson. Who would each of you vote for? I'm glad this is one. Uh, we talked off the air about this. We don't always do that. Sometimes we'll kind of just do these off the cuff. But uh, I'm glad we did because this is a this is maybe the toughest question we've gotten all year. Uh, oh, so, and that was from Tony from Bethesda, Maryland. Sorry to cut you off. No, no problem. Uh, to me, this kind of comes down. It's similar to the Heisman race, not position wise but I, I think the also ran here is Russell Wilson who in any other year I think could easily be justified in winning this award it's just the two guys above him have the name they I don't know I was going to say they're they're gonna, they were one and two in the draft right they're one and two in the draft all three are looking like a real good shot to make the playoffs at least two of them are gonna and this is a really tough call my, I think I give it to Andrew Luck. And really all that comes down to is just how bad that team is without him. That was a terrible, terrible team last year. And for him to have that team win nine games, nine already. games right now could end up with 11 wins. I know they don't, they beat green Bay. That's probably their signature win of the year. They don't beat teams overwhelmingly. They, they just, they're not, I still don't think they're a great team. I feel like the other two teams, the other two guys I think have a better chance to win the Super Bowl. Uh, I see Indy kind of as a one-and-done team, but I just think that team was that bad. They were really, really bad last year. And uh, they Washington and Seattle have a better cast. Seattle, it's more about Marshawn Lynch and the defense, whereas Washington, it's kind of Griffin's team, but he's got some help there in Alfred Morris. He just has better talent, I would say, around him. So that I'm kind of taking away from RG3 based on what he has and what maybe Luck doesn't have, but it's close. It's super tight. I imagine the voting is going to be really, really close. I'd like to play devil's advocate, but it looks like a really boring pinball game. <laughs> That's a Simpsons yeah. reference, uh, <laughs> if anyone got it. Um but I got to go with Luck, too, because RG3 hasn't played the whole year. That's true. And Andrew Luck, so far, has been there 
every week for his team, and it's no fault of RG3. No, it's not. You know, it's not his fault, but Kirk Cousins was able to step into his role. And win two games. And win two games, including one that they looked dead in. Right. You know, he came in at the very last minute and threw a touchdown pass and ran in in the two-point conversion. And... Yeah, that's that, gr- I think, shows you what a better team Washington right. can be. Yeah, Cleveland sounds like they're a crappy team, but they were a hot team at the time. They had won three games in a row. They were a team that looked like they were piecing what they're trying to do together. And Kirk Cousins went on the road and won that game. That just sh- and, and they have guys on defense like London Fletcher and uh, the cornerback that's obnoxious. That's name is slipping my mind, but... <laughs> I can't think of it either. They they just they're they're better, and I think that Andrew Luck has carried his team. And how many times have we seen Andrew Luck throw the ball into the end zone in the last minute or so? Right, right. To win the game. Yeah, I mean, really, we're splitting hairs here. I don't think if you pick Luck, it's a knock on RG three. It might just come down to boy, it's a coin flip to me anyway. And RG three wasn't on the field for two of Washington's wins. It might just be that simple, or Indy has a better record at the end of the season. It it's, it's, close. it's really close. It's really close. It's probably the closest rookie of the year vote that I can ever think of. Yeah, I don't have anything off the top of my head that comes that close. Okay, one last thing. Go ahead. All right, one more thing for me. The Bills embarrassed themselves in Seattle. and in Or in Toronto, I'm sorry, against Seattle. And I'm glad they did that. Uh, I talked earlier on this podcast, and I've talked for a while about it, but they have an antiquated way of doing things. They have an ancient owner. They have an ancient coach by NFL standards, and they have an ancient GM. And they're talking already about drafting a quarterback, and that's all well and good, but then they're talking about developing a quarterback. Uh, That doesn't happen anymore in the league. You've got guys winning right out of college everywhere and you're a bad team so there's no reason to keep entertaining this notion that Fitzpatrick is going to take you somewhere draft a kid let him come in and play the reason I want my team to embarrass myself and I don't think I'm wrong as a fan doing that is because I think that if they embarrass themselves two more times the chances of Buddy Nix and Chan Gailey not being here increase the Bills are the only team right now that would do this they need to get younger they need to get younger the Baltimore Ravens are sitting at 9-5 and five right now, and the city is pissed. Their players are pissed. They fired their offensive coordinator. The Bills need two seasons to get to nine wins, and they're fine with everybody. Everybody's good. Defensive coordinator is fine. The coach is good. Uh, general manager is good. Everyone's good but the punter. Yeah, the Who punter. everyone loved. Yeah, he had to go. But uh, it's embarrassing. We won't kick 50-yard field goals because the coach doesn't like it. So I just want everybody everybody out of there. Get some young kid out of college. Get somebody that has a little bit of innovation or at least is with it. Our coach won't kick 50-yarders because he thinks they're hard to make. Uh, so I want my team to embarrass themselves. I want them to play the Jets again, a team that embarrassed them once, and a team that embarrassed themselves all year long. And I want the embarrassing Jets to embarrass my Bills so something changes. Because right now, the business-as-usual stuff sucks. It makes fans like me apathetic. I used to. I was talking online today 
about how when the Bills used to lose in the late 80s and early 90s, I'd be pissed. It would wreck my day. day. Yep. It, it would wreck my week until the scoreboard on ESPN or whatever or in the paper stopped showing last week's games and started showing the next week's games. Now it's, oh, I mean, my spirit for the Bills, they get you excited by getting a guy like Mario Williams and then they get blown out week one. So it's like immediately any hope I had was just like, oh, here they are again. It's the Bills. So I want that to change. I know changing ownership and changing coaches doesn't always fix things, but I have no reason to believe that these guys can do anything. So please keep embarrassing yourselves, Bills. Speaking of embarrassing, the gap in between the end of the college football season and the <laughs> national championship game is beyond embarrassing. I don't know what the delay is. Why can this game not be played on January 1st? Why do we need to wait a whole extra week or whatever past that? It feels it's, like it's been a month already. They, first of all, they start before the NFL. Maybe start the same week as the NFL. <laughs> right. Then you're, I mean, I know these kids are supposedly student athletes and there's some concern that they have finals, but they also spend the whole month practicing in between the end of their season and the bowl game. So it's not like these kids are locked in the library getting ready for their finals. That's a joke. College football, your gap between the end of the season and the national championship is a joke. Is our Alabama and Notre Dame going to even be the same teams that we've seen at the end of the season after a month? You have to bring your team out 30 times for practice and risk an injury to Teo or any other star 30 times to get ready to play that game? Two weeks between the championship games and the NFL and the Super Bowl is long enough. This month in college football is an absolute joke.